0: Welcome to the Better Questions Podcast, where we wrestle with hard questions and seek to ask better ones. Thanks again for joining us today. This is part two of my conversation with Ben Davis. I hope you enjoy it. Um, We have another question sent in from Gabe from Texas. Wow. Question is this. Why do you think so many people are deconstructing their faith? Should we be concerned about this trend?
1: Hmm. That's a good question. Um, okay, here's a couple things I would say. I, I think the the why is a very complex question. Yes. Um, so let me let me go to the let me go to the second part and answer because I think it's it's shorter. Um, I don't think that deconstruction it shouldn't be a disturbing trend. It can and should be a healthy part of a person's maturity in the faith Mm. if if deconstruction is a process and a means, however difficult and however painful and however long, but if it is a means through which there is a reconstruction of faith, a framework of belief, that is in keeping and aligned with what I would call historic Christian orthodoxy. Yeah. Um, and so if that is the process, then deconstruction, again, is a very healthy, a very um, necessary, I would yeah. say in many ways, part of the development. And and, and many people who you speak to, um, could even say at this point that that at some point they didn't maybe have a deconstruct their faith, but they had a crisis of faith, or they questioned their faith, or they had some form of doubt. And of course, all of this is on a spectrum. Right. Um, but those types of things are, are, I think, are very necessary for maturing Christians mm. that they need to have. Um, and so Christians who are not wrestling with certain questions or, or, or various doubts and things like that at least at some point in their life what I have found at least is those Christians tend to be pretty immature pretty shallow mm-hmm. um, and and that maybe they they aren't taking their faith as seriously as they should so that that's what I would say is it is it a dangerous thing no if, if it's qualified with it with a form right. of reconstruction
0: yeah I mean even even think <laughs> Jesus was was deconstructing all the time you've heard it said but I say absolutely you know, he, he was he was certainly turning things upside down and so I think if you when we talk about the word I mean you could be studying post uh philosophers and, and may have a very different understanding of this word but right. at its core like deconstruction is sort of taking apart one's belief system piece by piece yeah which in a healthy way means I think you're reconstructing something in the process as opposed to sort of deconstructing into oblivion. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's the point if, if that's all uh, all we're going to do? And so I think when we were talking about like, for uh, I think of my own journey, because I grew up in a certain church context that was probably borderline fundamentalist at times mm-hmm. um, and taught me certain things. And so th- there are things like that where I yeah. saw some legalism. I saw certain, you know, Uh, political alignment pieces that were, uh, if you don't vote a certain way, you know, you're not, you're not in. And and it was, it was a lot of things that I think when I got older actually led to a crisis of faith because everything that I had constructed, um, there was a lot of good in there. Like I would say 80% of of it I owe to that church and to my upbringing. I'm like, yes, amen. Yep. But there's 20% of it that could probably go. Yeah. Um, and so that's the de- the healthy deconstruction is pulling it apart to see, oh, wait, maybe that's not what, what Jesus was all about. Maybe that's not what the scriptures actually teach. Yeah. Or maybe that's not even historical Christianity. And then in the process of that with Jesus in community, building something else that's more true.
1: Yeah. I think that's exa- I think that's exactly right and and you hit the nail on the head a lot of what people think of as as deconstructing their faith is is really deconstructing a lot of shallow um, christian culture that has grown up like a vine around certain things and and that needs to be torn down yeah. probably um and so but again it's it's the reconstruction piece that is that's so important Um, And I think without the reconstruction and then what the reconstruction looks like, that's when we get into some particularly difficult questions of is this healthy or is this dangerous or or, or things like that. Um, But it's a a necessary thing. I I went through it um, when I was in college and coming out of it. Um, And even to a degree, I don't think there's ever clear demarcations between – deconstruction and reconstruction I think it can again can happen in varying degrees throughout our lives mm. um, as it should because we're continuing to grow and develop as we are um, as we are being filled and chastened by the Holy Spirit we are it's the nature of the Christian life to be, torn down and remade and torn down and remade and torn down and remade. And that's how we are pressed into the further likeness of Christ. Mm. And so this is part of that process. So it's something that we should not only not be afraid of, it's something I believe as the church we need to encourage. And actually, I think if the church would, would encourage people to do this, and would help people do this. I think what we would find is that this now becomes a piece of our discipleship that helps keep the guardrails on and make sure that the reconstruction Is happening in the way in which it needs to happen rather than people kind of tearing off on their own and going on this existential crisis and you know being very vulnerable to all kinds of other dominating narratives and then whatever reconstruction happens if it ever happens it looks radically different than the Christian faith um, assuming that they're even interested in Christianity at all Right, right and but so the church really needs to needs to start embracing this and saying. We we wholeheartedly encourage you to go through yeah. this process. And uh, we want to, as the church, we want to be here for you. And we want to, if we have, if we ourselves have contributed to this process insofar that we have built up uh, hedges that are themselves unchristianly yeah. or unchristian, we need to repent and tear them down mm-hmm. ourselves and go That's through good. this process. And so it's not just an individualistic thing. Right. It's also a church Uh, church
0: thing that's super super important i I even think back to my own journey and one of the the hardest things and back then we didn't call it deconstruction we just called it doubt but Mm -hmm. i'm like i remember in college my sophomore year is when i it was it was on the 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 new atheists were like all of a sudden peaking it was richard dawkins sam harris and uh the sweaty guy hitchens hitchens yeah Yeah, Uh, sure (laughs) i remember i remember i was I read at Barnes and Noble. It's like a 100-page book by Sam Harris, a letter to a, to a Christianation. Christian. nation Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And I remember that was like, I had never once considered that everything I had grown up in could be wrong. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm like, he makes a lot of great points. Yeah. And I'm reading this just like absolutely, like the curiosity in me is like, I need to read more and I couldn't help. Mm-hmm. And what happened was I dove into a place of isolation. Mm-hmm. So I, so i what I can, couldn't dare bring this into the church. I was a yeah. worship pastor. I was leading ministries at a Christian college. And so for people to know that I was like, I was like hiding my Sam Harrison paper bags and like reading them in secret. Yeah. Like that was, that was a, you know, that would have been a, a horrible, horrible thing. So I, I retreated, I isolated. And what I noticed is as my faith began to in ways, um, you know, weaken in a sense, I, I also noticed that, like, I grew in my despair. Yep. I grew in my just, uh, even my sin began to creep into my life in new ways. And it wasn't until I finally was like, hey, here's what I'm do- going through. And then mm-hmm. I, I opened up. Actually, the first person I opened up to was my mom um, on a way back from a summer camp. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling. Yeah. And then I opened up to, some close friends. I opened up to my former professor, Dr. Letterly, you know, and he told me this great story about how he, he doubted his faith for one hour Mm. um, because he was in Germany and was having these, these academics tell him how foolish he was. And he said, for one hour, I I said, Oh, you know what? Maybe I don't believe any of this. And then the Holy Spirit met him in a a stream of consciousness, reminded him of all the moments when God was present. And this is what I think happens is, in our isolation, when we're not sharing what we're, we're working through in community, um, we begin to see everything through a new lens. And, and the moments where God worked in our life, we don't we don't see clearly. Um, yeah. we begin to doubt all the all the ways in which God has been present throughout our entire life. And it wasn't until I fully was like, "Yo, this is what I'm doing. I'm going through." That all of a sudden the healing process began. And for yep. me, I was able to be like, "Oh wait, where where are the points and where?" Some of what I grew up with is is off. Yep. Um, and and over time, um, began to rebuild in a lot of those ways. And I see all of that as part of a part of my faith journey. Absolutely. Like all, I, I needed
1: to go through that in order to get to where I am today. Absolutely. And it's uh, that's a wonderful story. And I'm 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 glad you sharing it and the importance of a people called the church. Yeah. To, to come around you. I, I go back into, was a second chapter of Mark, um, where, and this is in the other canonical gospels as well, the friends are bringing the paralytic and they're lowering yeah. him through the roof. But then the text says, it was the faith of your friends that healed you. The mm-hmm. faith of your wow. friends that healed you. That's it wasn't good. his faith. It was the faith of his friends to bring him. Yeah. And so I encourage people, who are going through deconstruction, who are going through real doubts, uh, real existential crises, d- don't abandon the church. Don't leave the church because their faith, their faith, we, we flatten a narrow faith into an individualized, hyper-intellectualized endeavor. It's not that at all. Yeah. Faith itself which which takes on a form of power and and, and knowledge, and not just intellectual knowledge, but deep, intimate knowledge as we see it played out, especially in the the New Testament, but going all the way back to Abraham. um, That itself, in the power of the community, in the the headship of Jesus Christ, takes on a power of its own um, through the Spirit that people who who are wrestling very deeply with doubts and deconstruction, uh, that faith can carry them and to remain with the people of god to and this is i think one of the the most important things that we can do as a as a worshiping community to at least have some um forms in our service of of what i would call rote prayer because hmm. there are there are too many people and I, I and far too many people i'm sitting in our pews today who are probably yeah. experiencing just what you did right now thankfully they're 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 Hopefully, coming to our doors or still coming to our doors, but they're probably not sharing any of this. And so many of those people probably are not praying. Yeah. But if and and when the during the times of prayer that may be hyper kind of privatized and quiet or whatever, they're just sitting there instead of being drawn out of themselves to pray with the church. And I tell people, you don't even have to mean it. I don't even <laughs> know what that. I don't even yeah. know what it means to say I mean it. Other yeah. than I'm saying it, I'm praying it. Yeah. And and just just do that and keep praying it and keep praying the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. And and don't don't deconstruct it, don't analyze it, don't go down, just just say the words. And it has a salutary effect on you over time. And and I think this is the other importance of at least a, a regular, if not weekly, then monthly or regular um, offering and participation in, in, in Eucharist is the same thing of going there and participating and taking this with the people of God and and taking the, the bread and the wine and ingesting them and going through this even when you're really wrestling with things, even when you're really doubting. Um, and eventually you will come into a clearing. Some people I know wrestle with these things their whole lives, but there are moments where they come into a clearing And they look back and they've seen their their constant participation in the people of God, certain prayers that they've prayed on on a regular basis, participation in in, in the Eucharistic fellowship, and they say, those things carried me. Hmm. Even in times of real darkness, they look back in a moment of clearing and say, those things have carried me on. So don't abandon those things. And for the church... Continue to offer those things because there are far more people sitting in our pews today who are going through that. They're just not sharing it. And those things that we offer to them could be the means of grace that they need in their lives um, where Jesus, even in ways that they don't not only fully realize but don't even know is happening, is meeting them in in a really profound, profound way. So yeah but it's it's a big question and a lot of people are going through it and the church and not just the church but individual christians need to need to learn to be okay with this they need to learn to to understand it the best they can and to continue to minister to people yeah that's good um the other part of the question is is why do you
0: think this is happening yeah there's a lot there. I, I'm reminded of a, a Niebuhr quote. He said, God made us in his image, but man, we are good at returning the favor. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, the moment we think of Jesus as a white progressive yep. is the moment you know, we violated the nature of Jesus, or if we think Jesus is a white conservative nationalist, you know, yep. we we've we sort of have, there's this idolatry, I think, where uh, so often people see a, a ways in which religion is used to leverage power Mm -hmm. and in those spaces, people see that and say, oh, I don't, if that's what your Jesus is about, or if that's what your scriptures are about, I don't wanna be a part of that. Yep. Um, And so I think that there is certainly that. Yep. And I would add also, I think people, and this is not new, it's maybe more in front of us because we live in the digital age and the age of social media but mm. when you have a prominent christian leader take a ravi zacharias mm. have a moral major moral failure that's yeah. publicized um that that shakes your faith absolutely and you say man is, is everything he did in vain is yeah. was he just a fraud the entire time when you know there's so many there's so many questions that I think people wrestle with when they see, hey, these prominent Christian leaders mm-hmm. who have skeletons in their closet or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, what, what, what else? What, what do you think is behind the why this is so in our face right
1: now? Yeah, um, this, this, is, this is an idea and a, and a movement um, whose time has come. This has been mm. building for, for quite some time. Um, and there are various books and ideas out there as to how long it's been how long it's been going and that if we dig back far enough we'll find that the origins of a lot of this lie within certain parts of the Christian theological tradition which is kind of an interesting thing kind of a whole probably another podcast we need to say for another day Um, but this is an idea whose time has come and um, we have we have broken out into into a um, a real postmodernism that is that is is there is there such a thing as as truth um, is all that lies behind claims to truth claims of power. Um, Th- those types of things, right. um, and and here's the thing: y- you have kind of these French postmodernists, existentialist people like Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida and others who who really kind of put this this stuff out there. There were others, but there, mm-hmm. there were some of the more prominent ones. Um, and I don't I don't want to condemn or poo-poo their whole project. Um, some of their work is, especially the, the work of Michel Foucault, is is not only very interesting. It was necessary work that mm. needed to be done. Yeah. Um, these were, in in some ways, that he was he was calling out certain idols of the West um, and calling out certain idols of, of deformed um, f- deformed <laughs> forms of, of, of Christian Christian culture, uh, especially in Europe and other places that needed to be called out. Um, and so, this idea of the deconstruction that we can we can. Pr- Pull everything apart and and find the power, uh, the power play behind it. Um, that's there's there's worth in in that yeah. in that in in at least parts of that project. Um, and so now we're kind of dealing with more of a popularized version of that that's finding its way into just kind of North American uh, Christianity and culture. And there's a lot of different factors. I, I do think the rise of social media uh, and the accessibility through, yeah. through various uh, technological platforms is a huge contributor to that. If nothing else, than just the acceleration of it right. Um, right. is really, really is really big. And that, again, that's a whole big conversation. There, um, but I think th- yeah, these are ideas whose time has come. I think the thing that people need to realize is that um, power is inevitable. Power is inevitable. Yep. Uh, so it's a matter of is it is it good or bad power? Mm-hmm. And what's so radical about the Christian faith? And and this actually we kind of come full circle a little bit going back to yeah. the Bible because. I would encourage people, especially people going through the existential crisis or, or people maybe who are critical or thinking that behind these, these truth claims are just power. You're right insofar that it doesn't include power, but go and look at how power is defined yeah. with God in Christ on the cross. Yeah. Um, no one is going to take my life from me. I'm going to lay it down and I'm going to take it up myself. Now that, that is a radically yeah. powerful claim. Um, go read 2 Corinthians 11, uh, where the Corinthian church is making a lot of grumblings and complaints to Paul because he is not a what we might call a prominent person in the community. Uh, he doesn't look the part of the statesman philosopher. He doesn't speak in the way in, in, that all of their respected philosophers and sophists in, in, in the town square uh, speak. Uh, he, he, he's not good at, at touting uh, his credentials in, in the cursus honorum, which was the way of the way of honor in Rome. Um, and so Paul says, "I know that you're grumbling about this. Uh, actually, let me boast about something. Let no. me go ahead and play this game with you." And he talks about his own boasting in 2 Corinthians 11 and his boasting are what we would consider to be, especially in his culture, acts of shame or things of shame. Mm. Um, I've been whipped. I've been shipwrecked. I've had all of these terrible calamities fall upon me. Um, but then at the end, he, he he climaxes in this point of his thorn in the flesh, which he doesn't, it's kind of this enigmatic yeah, yeah. statement. He doesn't name who this is or what, what this is, is or what's going on. But then has this incredible statement where it's like, the Lord is not going to take this from me. And the Lord has said that my power is made perfect in your yeah, weakness. Yeah and it's this incredible taking the world and turning it on its head and that at its heart at its essence is the message is the gospel of christianity is this upside down kingdom and so it's not a matter of if power power is inevitable but what shape does power take Hmm. and the crucified christ the god man on the cross bleeding for the world is the ultimate form of power and it's the form of power that god demonstrates as god reveals himself as the master creator and ruler of the universe and that's the power that christians are not only invited but but really and i know a lot of you know folks probably won't like this word but <laughs> commanded yeah. i mean if, if this is the life you're going to take you're we're commanded to live in the way of king jesus demonstrating the sacrificial power that he demonstrated. And, and ultimately, that is the his own power and the Holy Spirit working in and through us. So, um, you know, that's one aspect of this whole conversation in terms of deconstruction and power, but, but it's that Christians either have not thought about power very Christianly, mm-hmm. um, or they have, as a result, played the power games of the world right. um, instead of playing... Um, the power game of the cross, mm-hmm. and and it's only that way um, that we can that we can we can actually outdo we can one up the postmodernists uh, with with the claims of power.
0: Yeah, bro, it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reminded of a, a quote as you we were talking by C.S. Lewis in his book um, *Grief Observed*. Mm. He's talking about his wife. Yeah, he says, "I need Christ." not something that resembles him. I want, and in referring to Joy, his wife, not something that is like her. A really good photograph might become, in the end, a snare, a horror, an obstacle. Images of the holy easily become holy images sacrosanct. My idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after time. He shatters it himself. He is the great iconoclast. Could we not almost say that this shattering is one of the marks of his presence, hmm. and it's just this idea um, that in order to for us to faithfully follow Jesus, there are times he has to come in and, and almost shatter our own um, idolatry or even just images of God Himself, and, yeah. and the way that like God on the cross, Jesus on the cross, is the ultimate. Um, Surprise, if you will. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not, that's not what you would expect from uh, a God. Uh, In the same way, it's, it it totally is necessary for us sometimes to have that shaken up in us. Mm. And I I think of too, even Karl Barth uh, in his Church Dogmatics, uh, which is like, you're speaking my love language. It's like 10 million words. I don't even know if he read the whole thing, but I had to read parts of it. There's this one great thing he said. He said, um, after having written his book, he was asked about it. And he said, in heaven, we shall know all that is necessary and we shall not have to write on paper or read more. Indeed, I should be able to dump even my book on the ground over the growth of which the angels have long amazed on some heavenly floor as a pile of waste paper. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. This idea that, you know, one day in the
1: ultimate presence of God, even our imperfect theology will be shattered. Absolutely. Um, and and the other great, master of, of of Western church theology uh, Thomas Aquinas had much the same thing I mean there's yeah. this 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 story I don't think it's apocryphal uh, mm-hmm. of him you know kind of coming coming to the end and coming to the altar and having this experience of vision um, and then walking out and saying all I have done is but mere grass wow. um, or something to that effect yeah, yeah. Um, and which is a reason why you know Bart didn't complete the church dogmatics and and Aquinas didn't complete. I mean, there a lot of these things remain unfinished because at the point these men knew this becomes vanity. I I, I can't, I can't, I can't complete a project on the incompletable. I, Mm. I, I can't, it's all I'm doing here is very, as important as it is, and it is important. It's, it's tenuous at best. Yeah, um, and uh, I think you know there is an interesting thing. You look at you know some of the what what Paul Ricoeur called the masters of suspicion, um, Marx, Freud, and Nietzsche, um, and just the way in which they thought about issues of religion or God or or, or even Feuerbach that that God is just this, this projection of our own kind of uh, consoling uh, ideas of who God is and our our, our comforts and all of these things. Um, and, and again, much like Foucault and others, they're incredibly right about many of those claims. Um, but when we're confronted with the person of Jesus, God in Christ, what we see is not a projection of our uh. own uh, wish fulfillment or comfort or, or, or you know psychological consonants or anything like that. Uh, we are we are confronted with this steely-eyed, wild, um, Desert prophet, who in one way comes to us with a fierce word of repentance, and another with a with a fierce word of consolation, and that is nothing that we could conjure up in our own human imagination, uh, because when we come to the gospels and we really are are reading the gospels and we're seeing the person of God in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, um, we are unsettled. We are unsettled, and this is no longer about wish fulfillment. Or psychological consolation, um, it's about being confronted um, with the otherness of who God is in Christ, and um, and it and it should shake us up, rightfully yeah. so. Um, and I think part of the problem, actually, for the deconstruction, is that too many of the people who are now really in in deconstruction mode, um, either themselves at one point. Um, or or, or the churches or the people who they were around who who were were Christians were not allowing themselves to be as discomforted as they needed to be by the person of Jesus. Hmm. Um, And so the faith had become too comfortable uh, to them. Uh, Their claims to knowledge and to truth had become too comfortable to them. They had not been shaken out of that. Um, And so then when the, when the, the crisis comes or... Suffering, or all of these other things, um, instead of going back and actually seeing that those things were always really there in Scripture, and they've been there for two thousand years in the Church, it's 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 unfortunately well, I guess all of this wasn't really ever true, and yeah. science has proven that as such, and that's a really unfortunate way to, to go because none of that's true right none of that's true right and there are plenty of things we could say especially in light of covid now about issues <sighs> of science and claims of knowledge and truth and all that's, that so. that is another podcast that's another it's podcast a, that's another it's podcast a great conversation
0: yeah. though and i i again the other thing i think about in this is um just the way because you're probably not on tiktok uh, no, I'm, I'm not. I actually guess. just found out what TikTok was like two weeks ago. I had no idea. I heard so the name, I had no idea. what I, they did. Back when I was doing youth ministry, I, I would dabble just to kind yeah. of be in the know. And That's what you need to do occasionally, I would stumble across, um, you know, it's it's this sort of trendy, progressive take, and they, they would they would get pique your interest by saying things like, "Did you know mm. that?" what Christians don't want you to know is that there is a gospel of Thomas. And then they would say ah. some Gnostic gospel and, and, and would say, did you know that in this gospel? And then they, you know, they, they reveal some horrific thing that, or whatever. Oh yeah. And it, but you can imagine for a young formative mind, of how course. enticing yeah. and how at the fingertips. And, and one of the things that I, that I'm seeing, I think more often than not is, so many people are trying to fit the kingdom of God or, or the ethics of of Christianity into their own ideological categories. Sure. Whatever whatever your agenda is, whether it's you know conservative, progressive, or, yep. or whatever, um, and I just I just don't think that it work it can work like that. I think you know I, I think back in World War two, Bonhoeffer was simultaneously um, have to stand up to his Christian brothers and sisters who are giving into the Third Reich and to the third Reich itself, right? Mm -hmm. This, this, this idea that he's being hit from every side and yet remaining faithful to historical Orthodox Christianity. Um, that doesn't fit in whatever ideological trend of the day. Yeah. Especially in, you know, North America in in 2022. Like it's just hard to have these conversations when we, we often mesh the two. Yeah. And I think that's what leads to to a lot of people's wanting to really uh, – that's why
1: deconstruction, I think, has become so trendy um, because it fits other agendas. Absolutely. Often. Absolutely. Uh, y- you touch on a really good point, it, the, the, the trendiness of it. Yep. Um, which – and oh, I hope I'm not opening up a giant Pandora's box here. Uh, but uh, – the issues that I have with 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 these the trendy or the fashionableness of a lot of these c- cultural tropes um, is that they they are at best a distraction, if not a suppression of what is genuinely going on with some people. Yeah, yeah. So, for instance, again, I know this isn't part of the conversation, but I think it helps illustrate it. Yep. Um, when when everybody who has a lighter pigmentation of their skin is inherently a racist, mm-hmm. and, and, they're, and and we're finding we're all hammers, and so everything is a nail, and everything somehow has some type of racially motivated agenda behind it. Right. what that can do is becomes an, a very abstract. Thing that either becomes a trendy bandwagon for some people to jump on to show, oh, look, I'm actually not a racist or I'm enlightened or I'm progressive, so I'm going to jump on it. And then a whole other group of people to say, well, that's all just the liberal media or, or, or some big conspiracy theory to control us. Therefore, I'm going to ignore it. Right. Both of which are false responses right. to a movement. And then what it does is it then either suppresses or... Or or distracts when there are real instances of real racism and real injustice. And so then when you are identifying it or you see it firsthand or whatever the case may be, and you speak up, either um, you you know you're, you're labeled one way by one group or or something by another, or or maybe you know you happen to to be in a situation where it's not clear if it was a form of kind of blatant racism or there's more nuance here or there whatever and then another group chimes in and so creating these trendy bandwagon things don't help for people or instances when when the real thing actually happens that's a great and point. so then there are people who are really going through huge existential crisis of faith they're genuinely searching they're they're really going through the throes and perhaps maybe have been for a long time, Yeah. but now they're they're used in some way as a prop by one group or another group. And I'm not saying this happens in every instance, but that's typically sure. how these things work. Yeah. Um, instead of us having really serious conversations uh, about how these things play out and how they're affecting people yeah. in the very concrete. And, and all the conversations about you know, issues of justice uh, now, which are somewhat tied up with racial, but other issues as sure, well. Sure, sure. You know, we need to have really serious public conversations about what justice is and how justice is applied and a proportionality and get really serious about this because when it's just used as a blanket word or as a slogan for some type of a trendy movement um, then when it's time to really start talking about and applying and, and really wrestling through well what is it to mean to be just in this instance, and how are we going to apply it? And coming to the reality as well that all forms of justice are radically incomplete. Yeah. Um, I mean, just think about someone who would, you know, be heinously, you know, m- murdered an, an innocent person. Whatever we could do to the perpetrator, whether it be life in prison or even going so far as the death penalty, a life for a life. The family and the friends and the people around the person murdered will know that nothing will satisfy or bring back or may ultimately right that. And so that also coming to terms with the radically incomplete nature of what it means to be just um, or to do justice. But see, those conversations, whether it's deconstruction or justice or race or whatever – It's it's difficult to speak seriously and and in a nuanced way and and, and in an honest way about these things when they become um, trendy movements or or, or certain slogans that we want to post on our social media account to look a certain way or it provides then cover for other people to say, well, that's just those people. They've gone woke or they've done right. X, Y, or Z. Therefore, I can ignore that entirely. Yeah. Um, or, it, doesn't, it doesn't move the needle. Exactly, exactly. And so for those who may be listening, who are genuinely going through crisis of faith and deconstruction or whatever, um, you know, get with a church, come to this church, reach out to Matt, talk to somebody and, and, and really walk through it with others in your church or find a church to walk through it. Don't allow yourself to be pulled by cheap consumeristic narratives that are wanting to, to take advantage of your situation rather than try to help you through it. Yeah. That's great.
0: Again, for anyone who's, we've had a few questions come in on this. If this is something that you're journeying alone or in isolation, uh, just know that um, the church is here for you. We are here for you. And don't ever hesitate to reach out. And um, again, Ben, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Thank a you, Matt. hour flew by. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and so we'd love to have you back on. And again, all who are listening, thanks for joining us. You can send your questions in to betterquestions at eastminster.org or go to our website, eastminster.org slash betterquestions. Thanks again for joining us. We're back to our Monday, Thursday episode drop schedule. So join us. This is, if you're listening now, this is probably a Monday, but join us again on Thursday for another episode. Thanks again. Until next time, grace and peace.